Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by Dr. Matthew Zanis and Dr. Matthew Perry. We started the conversation today around a subject that most people don't tend to talk about, and that is the myths that surround training. We started the conversation today. This is a conversation that'll continue on over several different podcasts. So definitely stay tuned for those. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation and the upcoming ones highly valuable. So let's tune in. Matt and Matt, this is going to be fun today. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, you have both been on here before, separate interviews. Matt's actually, Zanis has actually been on here a couple times um, for some different conversations. Today, we are diving into the things that essentially nobody wants to talk about, and those are the myths that revolve around training. All these things that we are told throughout our lives are bad for us, or potentially the things that are told that are good for us that really aren't really are we're going to break it all down for you. First, though, let's have you two introduce yourselves just real quickly. Let's go Matt and Zanis first. So we go reverse alphabetical order. <laughs> I mean, that that's having the last name with a Z. I'm used to going last my entire life, but I guess I can go first. Today. Well, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you've had me on before. We talked a lot about foot stuff, so I'm, I'm glad that Maybe today we won't talk about feet. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe somewhere, somewhere down the line we'll get into that. But uh, my name is Dr. Matthew Zanis. I'm just really a small town boy, backwoods of Pennsylvania, grew up hunting, fishing, and shooting, and playing sports at a pretty mediocre level. Um, ended up jacking myself up, trying to practice, practice, practice more, more, more over and over and over again until I realized that all that effort got me nowhere until I actually got stronger and moved better. So now I spend the rest of my life helping out our Olympic teams here for summer sports and some of our nation's top military uh, organizations and I just help people move better, feel better and build confidence in their body to help them out with anything that life throws their way. Awesome. Matt Perry. Uh, my name is Dr. Matthew Perry. I'm, I'm here in uh, sunny San Diego. So right now it's about 78 degrees and sunny, which is nice. And uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I guess have a similar situation um, as Matthew. You know, I was an athlete growing up, rugby and ice hockey. I've hurt myself enough to uh, get really, really good at treating myself. <laughs> and uh, yeah, got diagnosed with some herniated discs uh, back a few years ago, which is what motivated me to get into PT school and uh, try to work on treating myself a little bit better. I um, was very successful at that, and I now transfer that knowledge to uh, everyone else I come in contact with, help people move better, improve the quality of life. Very cool. Love that. Very cool. Thank you. Boys. I mean, does the weather actually ever change in San Diego? I mean, that's pretty much a given at this point, right? So at 78 and sunny. Times, yeah. A couple times <laughs> a year, it might get a little overcast and it might rain like once or twice, but that's about it. <laughs> uh, we're, we're starting to even out here in Arizona, right, Brian? We're starting, we're, we're attempting to break that 100 <laughs> degree point, but we're still not being too successful with it. Oh my. Well, Halloween's usually that cutoff point, so. Yeah. We'll see. Wow. The nights are cool. The nights are cooling. Yeah. Okay, that's good. We should get some relief. <laughs> the nights are in the upper 60s, lower 70s. They're beautiful. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that'd be that. wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so let's first get into 
the concept that I think everybody learned in high school, if they did any sports, which is the no pain, no gain thought process. Because <laughs> we all know uh, people say that frequently. <laughs> man, oh man, that is that is a real deep, deep subject too. bringing up the whole pain conversation first. Um, I, I guess we, we don't really have time to dive into exactly like the, the lecture series on what pain is and, and the multifactorial process that, that encompasses that as well either. But I think what this um, no pain, no gain myth comes down to is our misconception of what it actually means, right? So in my mind, pain is just information to simplify it at its best. It's telling us something about our body. Um, so it could work from both ends though, right? So experiencing too much pain and not really knowing why it's occurring, just pushing through. And that's usually where our ego comes in. And we end up either creating compensation patterns around that or the male ego predominantly, Matthew, you should know about this too, is that we will put our heads through a wall despite our own body. And that's, we end up seeing some type of pathological tissue damage. But then I think on the other side of the coin too is, no, no pain, no gain, or like I'm, I want to stay in my comfort bubble and never experience any discomfort. And that also could have some negative ramifications as, oh, as we, we lead into this wussification of America in the way that I, I see it moving on right now. So yeah, especially with kids nowadays where we just have no tolerance of discomfort whatsoever. And that leads them down the path of lower pain sensitivity. So that's my initial take on it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, absolutely. Like, you know, um, we kind of instill this uh, in kids. I know I was definitely, you know, one of those uh, people who, you know, the two days weren't enough, then we need to do three days and all of that kind of stuff. And if I ever complained about it, well, guess what? I'm doing more laps or more, you know, something like that. So we instill this at such a young age. And, you know, it is uh, unfortunate. And, you know, there can be true pain, but I definitely agree with you. It's nothing but information, right? And sometimes that's warranted information. Sometimes that's unwarranted information. You know, sometimes it just means like you need a break and I don't mean rest, but I mean, you know, not doing your two days in 115 degree weather, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's almost like where it's seen as a punishment. Okay, that's not smart. So that, and that's, well, and Brianne, you, you're big into running, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons why I don't run at all pretty much. I mean, I'll do some sprints here and there, but it's because back in like middle school and high school, they used to make us run suicides as a punishment. I just learned to freaking hate it. And I had that mental association with, well, running is bad and evil. And it makes me feel really terrible about myself when I got to throw up. So, um, <laughs> but I think like if we, if we translate this no pain, no gain into like the gym setting, I think it's the, there's the misconception here where people feel like they need to feel sore or they need to feel beat up or they need to feel like they're laid out on the floor in order to be making some type of measurable progress. But we know that that couldn't be further from the truth because what it really comes down to with training, and this is what I try to get across to all my athletes, it's we're looking for your minimal recoverable dose, right? So how much can you handle, but then also recover from to allow for the positive adaptations to occur. And it's, it's kind of a mind fuck for a lot of people too, because of, I don't want to like throw CrossFit under the bus for this either, but in the advent of all this high intensity interval training, we associated pain with working out and feeling really terrible afterwards as a sign of progress, as a sign of our body changing. 
And that's, I mean, there's this whole like health fitness continuum spectrum deal where I think people start skewing towards one end versus the other um, when it comes to this style of training. But at the end of the day, we don't really need to feel this deep muscle burn to make sure that we're getting anything out of it. I think there's, and it is one of the downfalls of CrossFit is everyone thinks, or most people think they need to go 100% every single time. Um, there's a time and a place for that. Like I maybe once a week will do that just to push my body to the limit because it is a good, like, I feel it's good for myself just to feel that every once in a while. But the majority of the time it's like 78%, like kind of be under that red line just to be able to push your body, feel your body work hard, actually work hard, but not kill yourself every single workout to the point that you can't recover between workouts. If you're sore and you have that muscle breakdown every single day, how are you ever going to expect yourself to perform optimally, right? Absolutely. And that's, and that's the other thing too. It, it comes down to the amount of stimulus applied to the organism, i.e. Our, our body, right? So if the stimulus is new, this is where our perceptions can start to lie to us in a sense, is if we do something that we haven't done as a novelty movement or in my case, like me with my project balls to the floor, I'm going deeper and deeper into these middle splits. And the farther and farther I get down, I'm exposing my hips to new ranges of motion. And guess what? It sucks. And it only takes this like little, I'm talking like maybe 60 seconds of effort down there to feel like my fucking labrums are torn afterwards. But once again, it's the perception of like, I know what's going on in the body. And I, and I kind of relate this to a lot of my clients too. It's like, you do realize that because I know what's going on in my body, like I understand this, it's, it's not a threat to me versus somebody where they don't have the education and they haven't talked to a provider like one of the three of us can give them an idea of what this sensation is that they're feeling and also be able to dispel the correct narrative around it and have the correct dialogue around it where it is a, a non-threatening type of situation where we don't have to have all this fear and anxiety of these sensations that we're feeling because at the end of the day, like, Hey, you only were in there for 30 seconds to 45 seconds. That's all you needed, right? You got the dose and now go recover. And then next time you come back, you're going to be able to go further. And that applies not just in, in training, I think, but also in with life experience as well. You start to learn these lessons real quick. Matthew, I know you kind of had a similar background as me where, you know, we, we jacked ourselves up all the time and brands going through this whole entire thing now with their foot and coming out on the other side, but they're all lessons that we learn, right? That's all that injury and pain teaches us is something new about our body to be able to go back and make some alterations, maybe pivot or shift trajectory wherever we need to go to better ourselves as humans. Love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Continuing on the pain a little bit. So there's no pain, no gain concept. So then people do the other end of that and it's just, well, let's mask the pain so we can actually continue training. Let's use the ibuprofen before we get going. Let's use all the braces possible in order to just cover up what's ever there. And then they get confused on why they get hurt again. <laughs> So let's dive into that. The whole masking pain is a good and or an okay thing to do concept. Matt, I'm going to let you take this one first because I'm about to go off the rails on something. So just <laughs> give, give, give me room to breathe a little bit. I know I can like, I can see you just kind of holding back right now. <laughs> um, well, I mean, that's just another thing that we kind of have ingrained in ourselves in society, right? You know, it's all of the, oh, does something hurt a little bit? 
oh, okay, you can take all this stuff and not feel bad anymore. Oh, does your knee shake a little bit or do you have a little bit of pain when you go, you know, from sitting to standing? Okay, we'll like get 10, $5,000 braces and put them on all of your joints and, and you'll, you'll, you'll be fine. Um, when in reality, I mean, I don't know about you guys, I'm pretty sure like most of the people I see, it's, you know, typically because of their lack of movement, why they have some of these coordination issues, weakness issues, whatever you want to call those, that. So, you know, um, masking it is not going to make it go away. You know, we always say putting a bandaid on something. Um, but you know, when you actually put that into practice, you know, what does that mean? And that means that we need to get your muscles that can provide this dynamic support to your knees or hips uh, to work right in coordination. And uh, you'll probably be feeling a little bit better and you can save the thousands of dollars on braces and NSAIDs and, and you know, whatever else <laughs> is out there on the market. Have you guys seen that, um, that meme where it's like a piece of fucking kinesio tape or duct tape, like holding up the edge of a curb? that's the first image that comes to mind when I hear about like all this all the bracing and all the kinesio tape and all the dry needling and the manipulation which by the way have a time and a place there's context for everything uh, but they are right Matthew you're, you're 100% right they're band-aids they're temporary fixes and it's amazing me because I, I'm a, I was an athletic trainer before I went to PT school and I always joke now that I'm like a recovering ankle taper because of like what <laughs> Like what we know now, like I literally, part of our curriculum was learning how to tape an ankle in under two minutes. Like that was grading criteria to attain your degree. And so I got really great at slapping medical tape on people's ankles. And then it's like, you learn later, it's like, well, we might've been actually doing them more harm than good with that, with all this isolation and bracing. And like, you look at any, any collegiate or NFL football player, what they do with all the linemen, they preemptively give them Don Joy braces for their knees. Almost as if like you're gonna tear your ACL, so let's just give you this to even make you more scared about your knees blowing out, um, which <laughs> it's just so counterintuitive. And then the fact that we would tape ankles and then put another tape job over top of the cleats on the foot and the ankle, further limiting range of motion. And then uh, did you see in the last week of the NFL, Dak Prescott blew out his ankle? I don't know if it's like dislocated, fractured. Where's that force gonna go, right? If you're so like solidified in the foot and the ankle, it's gonna travel upwards. All the high ankle sprains, all the ACL tears, meniscal tears, hamstrings, groin, you name it. It's, I think it's a lot of it has to do with the feet. Damn it, Brianne. I oh, couldn't get no, out can't avoid it. episode without saying the word feet. Here we go. <laughs> um, but that's, that's detracting away from, from the topic of uh, essentially not doing enough or trying to mask all these pain symptoms. Um, but like my perspective on this, I think it comes back to what I mentioned earlier was this like wussification of our kids today and how we give eighth, eighth place trophies for everybody and we're coddling them. And like, I think back to when I was a kid and like I was, I've been outside with my dad chopping wood and doing all things in the mountains of Pennsylvania from a very early age, I would fall down, I'd be bleeding, I'd be all scraped up. I'd get no acknowledgement, none whatsoever. And what, guess what happens? You realize that you're not really in danger. <laughs> And you learn how to manage these symptoms from an early age, which I think is a, is a big, big problem um, nowadays with kids. Like I've had kids come to the clinic. Uh, well, okay, I'll bring back feet. They're not even, they can't even get their heels down, so to speak, because they're sitting all day long. But then also like they experience this level of what normal people would consider some type of soreness going on in the muscle or in the joint. And they perceive it as like their leg just got amputated. 
type of thing. Um, it, and it's, it's just this, there's a this dichotomy between the two different, uh, between two different ends of the spectrum, so to speak. But I think like when we we're talking about us being providers and it, it, it could be PT, Cairo, ATC, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I think that we kind of, we go after this pain stuff way too quickly and way too hard. Meaning we try to remove it as fast as possible. I think that's a big problem. Like I, I think that we need to, once again, teach people more about pain and what it means, but then also let them endure it a little bit. Like <laughs> it's not, it's really like, it may be uncomfortable. We all go through different pain experience. We all have our div different perceptions of it. But at the end of the day, like it's, it's not going to kill you, right? There's a, of course there are situations <laughs> where pain could potentially mean <laughs> death. But in the grand scheme of things, like if you're going to rehabilitation for some type of musculoskeletal disorder, ah, let's work with it. You know what I mean? Like, let's accept it, let's acknowledge it, and let's use it to learn more about ourselves and move forward and then build our tolerance to it. Like, that's a super important facet of it. I think that we, we kind of, we forget along the way. Absolutely. Like you said, it, it is a lot of pain is just the way any sort of pain, whether it's an ache or a sharp pain, it's all just information. Like, just going back to me and my current rehab with my foot, it's like, Every once in a while when I'll run, I'll feel just something different, but I think about it, I process it, and it's like, okay, it's fatigue. Like, these muscles haven't worked like this for a little bit. I've hit that limit of what they can support right now. And it's just feedback of information, and sometimes it's a point of like, yeah, I should stop what I'm doing right now because I'm going to do further damage. Other times it's like, you know what, we can keep going a little bit because it's just X, Y, and Z. I think it's interesting too, because like back when I was deep into the CrossFit realm, when I started my practice there, I remember people coming in, myself included, I'm not, I'm not taking myself out of this equation by any means would come in like with their Ironman suits on, we called them. So it's like, I need my lifter shoes. I need my knee wraps. I need my wrist wraps. <laughs> I need my hand back brace. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Brace, like everything. I'm like, Jesus, like if we need all these different tools to be able to train like we need to take a step back and look at what it is that we're doing because it's probably not the most beneficial thing for your body right now um, i'll own it too like i used to be that person as well <laughs> so. oh yeah 100 yeah, i'm yeah guilty <laughs> i do want to comment going back to xanis's conversation as far as taping the ankle and what it does to the knee mm. It's a conversation I have with my runners quite a bit when they're asking me about different ankle braces um, because, well, it's something I'm passionate about anyway, um, partially because it's actually what I did my, my thesis on was how wearing those ankle braces affects the protective firing of the knee and the motion at the knee. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, that knee just takes the brunt of everything. And so it's like, if, especially if you're trail running, if you hit anything uneven, it's like it's going to your knee. Like, no doubt about it. And so it's just, we need to think about these things in all areas of our body that if we're masking things, if we're covering things up, if we're bracing things, somewhere else is going to take the, uh, that impact at some point. Not going away. The force is mm -hmm. nor created nor destroyed, right? <laughs> You're not changing gravity. That's, yeah. that's acting on us all the time. I don't, I think, I don't think it's changed between 9.8 was eight, six meters per second squared in the past. I don't know. A few thousand years so right um that's, that's the one <laughs> like seriously though that's the one constant 
And that, that's my biggest gripe with a lot of like, um, don't get me started on the Instagram influencers and their training programs, but, um, <laughs> oh, okay. I'm going to breathe and calm myself down a little bit on that one. <laughs> but essentially like you, you take your, your body into these extremes, right? Like it's always go, go, go more, 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 more weight, more load. And we never really actually teach our body to control our joints through their fullest range of motion against gravity. Like, that's also a very important component because guess what? From a neurological perspective, still keeping on the pain track, your brain's probably going to let you know about it. If you're going into a range of motion, it doesn't trust you to go into. Like if it is trying to protect you, it will make things feel tight. It will make things feel painful to prevent you from fucking yourself up. Right? I mean that, but then we go into that range of motion. All of a sudden we think we hurt ourselves. It's like, no dummy. Like you're just not listening to what your brain is trying to tell you. Right? And we're not all dummies, I think but, but once again, that's where it's on our responsibility as providers to be Absolutely. able to educate on that, on that fact. Yeah. Like I tell my patients all the time, it's, you know, that, that's my job to understand that and then to convey yeah. that to you. Right. And I think a big point, point of that is really quali- qualifying, you know, your pain, you know, cause mm-hmm. uh, me dealing with a lot of chronic, you know, people who have chronic and persistent pain, I'm, you know, I'm asking them, you know, well, how's, how is your pain level? You know, oh, well, it always hurts all the time. Okay, well, let's like dig into that a little bit. You know, is it uh, stabbing pain? Is it soreness? You know, like what is it burning? You know, what kind of pain is it? And sometimes we get to the bottom of it. It's like, oh, actually, it's just soreness from me working out. You know, it's actually my back doesn't hurt. It's just sore, you know, which obviously, you know, then we work on some other things uh, to make sure that's not happening, that your low back isn't hurting all the time, and it isn't <laughs> firing all the time. But, you know, um, you know, it's, it's the education component that's so important. You know? Like, think about this for a second. How often do we actually just sit with our feelings and pain being one of them, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. really, like, I, that's, that's one of the things that I've been trying to uncover a little bit over the past couple of years is what that actually means from a, like an understanding standpoint of like looking at our body on a deeper level and being able to literally like actually feel inwards, so to speak. And I, I think, and I have, I've had clients in the past where it's like literally just talking to them for 45 minutes and having them lay down and feel into their body is enough to reduce their pain level. Hmm. Just because they're sitting with it and they're breathing with it and their brain can actually like calm down instead of trying to, overanalyze and trying to figure out what's wrong with me. So it's like, okay, I'm here. I experienced this right now. I'm acknowledging it. And guess what? We're going to work through it now. Cause that's where the trust is built in. Right. Cause at the end of the day, like the three of us, we're not fixing people. We're just kind of guiding them along the way. And I think one of the best things that we can do for people is just develop that level of trust where now they feel confident in themselves to work through this thing. Empowerment. I love it. Empowerment. It reminds, key. To, it reminds me of, um, I believe it was a, podcast I listened to with Sam Harris, I believe. Mm. And he really dove into a lot of that. He's a meditation mindfulness guy Mm. and really dove into one of them was about pain and like, is it really pain or is it something else? And just really like breathing into it and really helping you decipher, is it really there? Is it not? And it's pretty fascinating. Like I've kind of played with that around with that a little bit myself. And it's pretty fascinating when you really start doing that and being mindful of the situation and just, you know, kind of assessing that. Like how much pain do we actually see on a daily basis? How much of it do you think is like psychosomatic in nature? Oh yeah. I mean, 
I would venture upwards of 80 or 90% of it to some extent. Yeah. Right. Aside from, you know, you know, those legitimate mechanism of injuries where it's like, yeah, you, you sprained your ankle there. That looks a little black and blue, you know? Yeah. Well, absolutely. (laughs) Especially if you start throwing into that category, like fear avoidance stuff of this hurt before. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty sure it's going to hurt again. Um, or the, like, it, like they get that pain, quote unquote pain when they're returning to working out after being injured and like questioning every pain now, rather than just like mm-hmm. what their pain injury pain was. And so there is so much psychosomatic stuff going on for sure. I try to parallel it with uh, my, my patients, uh, parallel the story with my patients, you know, think of, you know, the, everyone's had the day before, right? And that's, you, you wake up late, you know, you're like rushing out of the house or whatever. You're like spill coffee on yourself. You know, you're like, you know, your boss is yelling at you, you know, like whatever the case is, just one of those like horrible days. Day's finally over. Like, you're like, oh, thank gosh, I can go to bed. And on your way to bed, you stub your toe, right? <laughs> How much does that hurt? That is 10 out of 10 pain every time. And, you know, <laughs> Any other day, that would be a, you know, stumble. Oh, one out of 10 at most, right? You know, but, you know, so touching on your point, the psychosomatic part, you know, the biopsychosocial aspects of everything. And I mean, Matt, let's be honest. How bad does, you know, hitting a toe and stuff and that hurt though regularly? Like it's a a regular, okay. It it, it might be like three or four or something. Like I recently, I recently got distracted the other day, opening up the bathroom door and I turned my head and kept the door pulling and like literally I took off the top portion of my middle toe on the right side. Oh, gee. Like, yeah. And, and but think, think about this from like an identity standpoint, like I'm the guy with the low key foot fetish, right? So like I, I view movement through the lens of the foot and like here I am having to go shoot a foot and ankle course over the weekend and I've got a giant black toe now. Like, oh. really? <laughs> I like how you describe oh, that as low key. <laughs> it's you know it now it's just a low-key joke it's really not low-key anymore you just kind of slide that in there yeah oh that's awesome oh okay uh, i don't know how i became that guy <laughs> you and me both you and me both yeah yeah <laughs> let's take a quick break to talk about zero shoes you know i love being barefoot i am barefoot as much as possible But when you're out in public, sometimes that's frowned upon. And when you're walking around on concrete and asphalt in the Phoenix summers, it's highly unsafe. That's when Zero Shoes comes in handy. These shoes allow my feet to be as barefoot as possible, to allow my feet to still work like they were made to work. And the great thing about these shoes is they last They have a 5,000 mile sole warranty, meaning you rarely have to replace these shoes. And they have a wide range of options. So whether you're looking for sandals, something for casual wear, or something for your sports or work, they have you covered. You can go check them out at zero shoes, that's spelled X-E-R-O shoes.com slash go slash get your fix PT. And you can find all of my partnerships at getyourfixpt.com slash partners. And now back to our conversation. All right, moving on. Barreling forward. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Going away from that pain. um, 
and going to the thing that we see a lot with people that rest and ice will solve everything for every aching pain they have as long as they rest and ice that pain is going to go away who wants to take it <laughs> oh Matt, matthew mr dr Zanis, sorry <laughs> I, 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 I see i see you just like holding just, back and you're almost turning like a fairy red no matt it's like all, all, all of these Bri brianne knew that when we we scheduled this type of a podcast that it was going to be an absolute shit show on my part because it's like, <laughs> i get so fired up about some of this stuff love it oh god uh okay all right so here, here's here's my like general understanding of the rest and ice thing from an ice standpoint i think ice is best utilized in your bourbon maybe one cube um, that's about it, really. Oh, because that like that whole like, yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm not. Well, my birthday's single to Mayo, so my 21st mm -hmm. kind of ruined tequila for me for a little while. Um, <laughs> yeah, more of a more of a whiskey bourbon guy by yeah by those standards. But like uh, the ice standpoint, I think that stuff needs to go away. Like the whole rest ice compression elevation, like the rice stuff or stuff is is so so outdated. Like what we know now is that ice essentially just numbs the nerve endings. Right. So it's not, it's not giving you any additional benefit other than, okay, it's temporarily reducing my pain. But then we have to look at the context of, all right, we do have pain, we do have swelling, but what does that mean? So the swelling is in there because our body has sent all the natural chemical mediators to fix everything that you may have hurt yourself. Like you can use a sprained ankle as an example. We want that shit to be in there. We want that to do its job. So that's where it's like, okay, if it is so unbearable in the beginning that you just need to put a little bit of ice on there and make yourself feel better, cool. I'm all about it. But this isn't something that should become chronic because you're then going to start to slow the healing process and really like exacerbate this, this thing and take the injury out longer than it needs to be because we're getting in the way of our own body's natural means to heal our own shit. Right. Yep. Very well put. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and you know, like going back through like some of the research, and maybe we can uh, uh, upload some articles or whatever for for people's viewing who are listening mm -hmm. to this. You know, a lot of this rice stuff is pretty unfounded in the research. You know, um, mm -hmm. you know the 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 fact that we as a society think that first of all rice that we need to rest. Um, you know, for the most part, you know, if you got a broken bone, maybe you should rest that. You know, like, yeah, there's a little bit of resting, <laughs> resting in there. Absolutely. But pretty much anything outside of that, you probably should be moving. And I'm not saying doing exactly what you're doing before you hurt yourself, but, you know, some kind of graded movement, you know, um, mo moving on uh, to like, you know, the ice stuff, you know, what I just say to my patients is because, you know, it's the first thing, oh, should I be icing? And like, what is that going to help? Like, you know, do whatever you feel. You know, if, 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 if you think it's going to help, then, then that's fine. If not, then whatever. And then that kind of opens the door for a deeper conversation of, well, like, yeah. everyone knows you should be icing. Like, why don't you, you know, that kind of thing. At the end of the day, like, we got to give people our, our professional opinions and let them be their own person and make an autonomous decision on their own. I mean, the empowerment key as well. Um, I, I think, too, like, when it comes to the rest stuff, we didn't really touch on that. It's it comes back to that tissue tolerance thing, right? That we talked about in the beginning with pain. And when we start to decrease our body's activity because we are feeling pain and we feel like we hurt ourselves, our tolerance to load and our tolerance to stress goes down. And I always give the analogy, this is kind of like a filter for me. If I 
I know I'm going to connect with the client that I'm working with. I start using movie references. Um, so <laughs> I usually describe it as the fact like normally before you got hurt, you had this large window of opportunity to move, meaning you had so much room for movement, yet you hurt yourself. And now that threshold, that window starts closing. It gets getting lower and lower. And the more that you stop moving, so the more that you're sedentary, the lower that window gets. And all of a sudden, the littlest little bit of movement crosses that threshold and you feel it. So our job here is to help you move more so you can improve your tissues tolerance to that load. Window gets opened up, you have more opportunity to movement, and all of a sudden you're doing karate in the, in the garage, you know, watching cops getting all sweaty, building bunk beds, and then you can do a whole lot more. <laughs> I had to get at least one in there. Yeah. <laughs> that brother should be in every single step. One. <laughs> it's one of the, it's one of those movies that if it's on TV, especially like the unrated version, I'll go on Netflix, and if it's like for free, but yes, we're watching that. <laughs> so good, so so good, so quotable. It's important to point out too that when we're talking not to rest but to do graded movement, that doesn't mean you can continue training like you wanted to. It just mm -hmm. means still move your body, even if it's just doing like working on your range of motion, trying to get to that full depth squat or whatever it is, it's moving the body in a way that's going to actually improve your movement patterns and improve some function rather than just all out rest um, to, to fix that problem. Partially because like I uh, talk about a lot, your issue was caused by the way you're moving most often, unless it's a trauma, break your leg, like, that's different. <laughs> but most times your issue is your injury is caused by the way you're moving. If all you're doing is resting and icing and then expecting this to go away, it's going to come right back because you never fixed that problem in the first place. I think you're a hundred percent right, Brian. That is nailed that on point. And this goes into what I keep seeing a lot of these days are people taking like rehab advice via social media <laughs> right so they're, okay. they're applying applying these tools and th th you listen this is why i like i have a very hard time putting like movement demos and stuff out there because it's it's all context derived right so oh, yeah. if you take something take something out of context start applying it to your body well maybe you don't need that or maybe you should be doing it a different way you know um there really is no bad movement there's just lack of preparation for movement and <laughs> it's like you brought up like being injured and now, now I think it's a great opportunity for you to learn about where these limitations are in your body and use that now as a learning moment, right? Take this opportunity and start to fix some of your, like the holes in your movement literacy, uh, so to speak. And that's where it becomes very important to actually have somebody watch you and guide you and coach you along the way. Because if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, that's the definition of insanity. And I don't want to call you crazy, but <laughs> but it might be useful to get like a hands-on opinion from somebody that knows what they're looking at and okay. not just taking what you're seeing online and seeing like, oh, this, this helps everything with knee pain. They said so. And look, at there's a green check mark there. It's good. <laughs> well, and I, you made a good point. And it's something that I've battled myself. Like I do social media stuff all the time, knowing I put up stuff all the time. But it's also when I think you've probably seen them more recently it's like i've put a lot of those posts out there recently about like you can't follow what i do and expect it to work for you like i have my problems my limitations are what they are my weaknesses are what they are it's not going to fix your problem 
because we don't know yet what your like my problems are different than your problems and you and you really just can't take find like like five videos and like just hope they're going to work for you <laughs> and you could try <laughs> and there there might be like that one person that like hey it does resonate with and it does work for them because they might be very similar to you but I think that majority of the time that's not the case. Yeah. Absolutely. Actually, real quick, I actually didn't yeah. want to, I just in my head, it came. Um, <laughs> I do want to touch, touch on one more thing. Cause this is like a huge, like sticking point. Um, okay. um, Cause we are talking about a lot of movement and how that can lead to your injuries. Um, we also need to kind of break that whole, um, whatever we have in our society that says it's the movement that caused our injuries. Right. Sometimes. Mm. And a lot of times, but what about what you're not doing? You know, what about your inactivity? You know, I can say most of us in America now are working 40 plus hours at a desk and just sitting, you know, with that forward head, rounded shoulders, all of that. Um, so then when you go to the gym, since you've been sitting all day, every day for the past, you know, whatever, you know, three months trying to meet your deadline and you want to go to the gym and you want to try to bench 225 pounds, uh, what what happens from there? <laughs> you get hurt and you're like, oh, dang, it's the bench press, it's the chest, I shouldn't have done it, you know, all of that, right? So um, we, we do need to do things to uh, keep people more active and, you know, it's all of a comprehensive um, um, approach that um, we, all, we all provide, but um, I just wanted to put that in there. It's, uh, you brought up a really good point, Matthew. It's like that if-then fallacy that we all are, I think, subject to. And a great analogy I use for this is I knew a guy once who um, he had a stroke eating a salad, like while eating is consuming a salad. So he then associated eating a salad with causing a stroke. Oh. And it's like, we just went from here to here really quickly. You don't think there could have been anything else in between that may have been a little bit more related. It just so happened that in that very time and place, you were eating a healthy salad, but now it's no longer good for you because you stroked out during it. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. not quite sure that one is going to add up. Um, <laughs> wow. And the test of scientific debate. Oh, but. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a good thing. So, um, yeah. With the sedentary factor, because how many people have you talked to? I know I've talked to a lot that, since COVID started, more hip and more back mm. injuries with running and going to the gym mm. because there's so much more sitting and sedentary activity. So it's definitely something that does, you know, I think is important to bring up that it is those things that we also aren't doing during our day. Mm -hmm. 100%. And how many, you know, people have you seen, you know, have had total knee replacements and how many of them are extremely active people? You know, um, in my experience, my personal experience, um, not many, most of them are pretty sedentary. They had some knee pain. They sat on, sat and rested it for a very long time. And guess what? It got worse. You know, it's not my triathletes and my weightlifters who end up going in for the total knee replacements. That can't happen. Of course, you know, football players, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff, but um, not the majority though. Not, hey, not no, that, well, it's like a bell curve, right? That's what you just highlighted there is you had the really sedentary end of the bell curve. And then you had the really active, like I, from my mind, I think of like really ingrained power lifters, strong men, that type of stuff. We're putting a lot of load and poundage into their body. I mean, you could probably put triathletes and Ironman competitors up there as well. Iron women too, all inclusive. Um, <laughs> but both ends of the spectrum is where you start to see the most problems occur. 
typically, right? So the sedentary person, they need a little more activity. That really hard go-getter could be having the same type of knee pain, but really what all they need is just maybe different activity or a lower load. We have to kind of adjust, you know, volume and frequency and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, what are we all trying to achieve <laughs> at the yeah. top, of that, top of that bell curve, exactly. which is optimum health and optimum function. Now, granted, I think if you're going to be going towards these specific goals of, hey, I want to create or I want to be able to complete a 100-mile race or I want to be able to do a couple Ironmans a year, like understand that you're going to push your body to the limits and it is likely, likely going to experience some discomfort and pain along the way. But as long as you're aware of it, hey, it's okay. You know what you're doing to yourself and then have somebody in your corner who can kind of help guide you um, along the way with that and, <laughs> and put out any fires along the way too. <laughs> always important always yeah. important always important all right um keeping on the somewhat injury pain side of things how many times do we hear that nagging injuries are just part of being an athlete and that's why we can train through them oh. <laughs> and we kind of just touched on that a little bit there um yeah, I, I, to. Mm, and, and like, I've, I've worked with so many different groups of athletes too. I mean, you, you name it, basketball, volleyball, shooting athletes, wrestling, football, baseball. But what, uh, well, the reason why I'm bringing all that up is each different sport and every athlete within that sport has their own identity associated with that sport. Um, and then when it comes down to it, it's like, okay, volleyball, they all expect, volleyball players all expect to have shoulder injuries. They all expect to have knee problems along the way. I, I was a catcher for 16 years, and I still can't tell you how many times people come to me and they're like, oh, you're a catcher? Your knees must fucking kill you. I'm like, actually, knees were fine for 16 years. It's actually a sex injury that took my knee out. So just saying. Like, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> there right? we go. Change your That's not the... Did I just let the cat out of the bag, Brian? I know we left that as a cliffhanger in our last podcast. We but, did leave uh, it as a cliffhanger. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we just got so, finished with the story. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, it's an expectation. It's one of those self-limiting beliefs that because, and I think it's like an if-then fallacy, like if I play volleyball, I'm going to have knee problems along the way. But let's look at that and change the perspective a little bit on it. Like, well, if we know that a lot of, let's say high school girl volleyball players experience knee and shoulder pain. Well, what can we do about that? Is it because we have them jumping up and down for three hours a day, then part of their training, like their strength conditioning training is jumping up and down. That's probably going to be a problem, right? <laughs> They're doing way too much of it. Uh, so I think that there are ways around it. We just have to do a better job about taking a step back and looking at it once again, from a contextual standpoint and be able to intervene in the most intelligent way. Yeah. A hundred percent. Oh, you're just, yes. I love this, by the way. Can I just say that? I'm a talker, sorry. No, no, it's, it, it, we're sorry. <laughs> no, it's, uh, I mean, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head, you know. Um, it's, um, wh why do, why do injuries, why, you know, for, for CrossFit, it was for a while as a badge of honor that, you know, for, for people who were at the top of their game to have pelvic floor issues and leaking, right. You know, having incontinence, it, it, you know, that's just, that's just a part of it. You know, I now kind of made it, you know, that's, we need to really get away from, you know, that and be like, well, why don't we train your pelvic floor so that doesn't happen? You know, why don't we train your jumping and landing mechanics so that every time you jump, you're, you know, 
not taking the full extent of the load into your knees. You're, you know, absorbing it, you know, with the cushion landing, whatever uh, the case may be. Or foot stuff, Dr. Zanis. always always comes down to the foot no but you you brought up a really good point there about things being common but doesn't necessarily mean that they're normal Mm -hmm. right so we we can't really just because everybody else experiencing it doesn't mean that that is bound to happen for you or that you should expect it right the incontinence example is is it highlights the i think the issue very very well where to this day and like to this day we are still seeing pain and injury rates increase right so okay once again i'll take a step back and like well that's common but that shouldn't be the norm right we're obviously not doing something right so let's take a step back from the ego a little bit and figure out where we can start to change things that have a larger impact and i think that's where we get most of our i shouldn't say most of that but we it is where we get a lot of the problems of these Mm -hmm. and why this conversation is important because when you do see everybody else at the gym or your running group or whatever other training group, your team having these same ish injuries issues, mm-hmm. you just assume I'm okay. I'm supposed to feel this. And like, this is just what we do. Um, and not, they don't ever, or most of them don't question like, is this actually okay? Is this actually normal? Is my body supposed to be doing this or does this injury mean something's wrong? Mm-hmm. And that, that brings up a good point, I think, too, about like how we as rehabilitation providers decide to intervene on these common occurrences, these common injuries, these common pain experiences. And I just, oh, I'm trying to figure out the best way to put this in a more politically correct type of a... Don't worry about PC. <laughs> I never so, do. <laughs> okay, so like, uh, we have to do a better job recognizing the difference between exactly what people want and what they need. Right. Like think about all these different, like we brought up the band-aids before of the cupping and the dry needling and the manipulations and the instrument assisted scraping and all that. Like people want that and they expect that. Once again, part of the identity feature of this is like, I'm an endurance athlete. I expect to have to go get my fucking quads like rolled out. I need to use a foam roller. I need to get these things needle. I need to have my back dry needled or I need to have it manipulated to be able to do what it is, what it is I want to do. And I think as providers, we get caught up in this idea of not once again, understanding what they need versus what we need to give them, what they should be doing. And then also, and that's also a difference between um, satisfaction and effectiveness, right? So they may be, they may be satisfied afterwards that, Hey, maybe their pain level is lower and they can move better, but was what we did actually effective at improving their movement or reducing their risk for injury in the long term? And I think that is the big, big picture that we're not actually seeing right now with all this stuff. And that, those are the arguments I get from a lot of PTs. And, and mind you, like, listen, I got trained to be a, a fellow in manual therapy. Like, I use my hands really, really well, but it's only like five to seven percent of what I do because there are more effective ways around it. So when I'm, when I'm approached by people who are like, Oh, well, this makes my patients feel better. It must be working. Well, what is it working on? Like, yeah, sure. They may feel better, but does that mean anything from a long-term purpose? Like, is it really practical? Is it really prudent for them in the long term? And we start that we have to ask ourselves those questions. I think. Essentially it comes down to the conversation of treating the symptoms or treating the root cause. Like, you know, which yes. one do you want to do? Yes, you get short-term benefits and the person loves you if you treat those symptoms, but 
at the end of the day, you're not really helping anything. But I guess at the same point, they have a client for life because <laughs> there's no empowerment or self-management there. But... Yes, my eyes just got really big. <laughs> uh, I, I tell this to my clients all the time. It's like, I love you guys, but I really don't want to see you all that often. Yeah. I like, really don't. Like, if you're I in my office. out of a job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Train yourself out of a job. That is wonderfully put. Um, well, that's, that, that's a difference between like a scarcity and abundance mindset too. I think like trying to hold on to, to clients for the sole means of like getting that recurring revenue, like that, that, that's definitely like you're living in lack and that that's definitely a scarcity standpoint versus like, Hey, there's a billion fucking people out there that you can help. And maybe you don't need to see them once or twice and you just keep getting more and more of those. And now you have a larger impact versus seeing the same people over and over again and keeping them complacent, like complacency breeds mediocrity. Yeah. Not about that at all. Let's get you to the point where you can see me or, you know, it, but, but only because you want to see me, not because you have to see me, you know, yeah. or if you want to see me for life, like let's do programming. Let's do injuries constantly. Let's increase your deadlift by hundred pounds, you know, cause that's one of your goals. Let's whatever, you know, but not because you have an injury, you know? Yeah. Um, and I know some of the, not knocking some of the big box clinics, but like, you know, I have a personal experience of being in one where it was, we were celebrating someone's 200th visit with a cupcake, you know? What? 200 visits. That's a thing? <laughs> I don't want to ask Medicare or TRICARE. And like, not, not, let's that, not even talk about how it's a burden on the healthcare system. But I mean, it's like, but, but that's like, uh, that's like Planet Fitness handing out pizza. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a bit of a disconnect there. Yeah. Yeah, still a little bit. <laughs> Yeah. Like, so congrats, uh, here's your cupcake. You've been your, well, at least maybe your insurance company's been giving me all your money for the past. I don't know. Huh? Jesus Christ. 200 visits. Yeah. How for, long uh, would it take to get those in? There's only 365 <laughs> days in a year. Like you're, you're right? living the majority so, yeah, of your life. I, I, I was like multiple money. years. Um, I kind of inherited that person at that time. Yeah. Uh, and it was for like non-specific subacute low back pain. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> I can see maybe like maintenance for like high, like, like low level stroke person or something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Some of the degenerative neurological condition, something in there, but yeah, but no, uh, that was one of the reasons why I decided to take a different route. <laughs> now, now we're averaging, you know, you don't say. say. <laughs> wow. Just Damn. Now. That is shocking to me. Like I knew that stuff kind of similar that happened but i just learned something new today oh well, and unfortunately i think that's where a lot of this like symptoms versus root cause happens as well is yeah. in those box clinics like you're expected to get a certain number of units per patient because the reimbursement is so low so it's like you have to do the manual therapy and the modalities and this that and the other when in all reality it's like that's not what's going to get that person out of the door long term not that they're looking for that necessarily, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think if, you know, talking about myths here on this episode, I think the biggest myth of them all is the fact that, you know, we create this codependency model in healthcare. Like that shit needs to die. Like it needs mm -hmm. to go away. Like I'm not, like we said, I'm not here to fix you. You're going to fix yourself. We're just going to be your guide along the way. Like I want to make you the CEO of your own health. Like at the end of the day, you need to take responsibility for your body. Like, but this is the biggest problem where 
the patient or the client or the athlete becomes dependent on the provider. The provider then thinks that they are the sole source, the sole source removing that person's pain or helping them move better. And then guess what happens? Both parties are fucking pissed at each other when the goal is not met yeah. and they blame each other for it. And that creates a huge amount of resentment. And guess what? Nobody wins. And then that person is turned off from rehabilitation and physical therapy altogether. Yep. Well, and I and think a lot hurt. of the stuff that we're talking about right now revealed itself with COVID when sure all did. you could do was video telehealth of some sort. You had to use your eyes. You had to use your verbal <laughs> cues. You couldn't touch the person. You literally had to talk them through how to heal themselves. And I know I've talked to a lot of therapists who like, they struggled because they're so used to that hands-on. It's like, what do I do with the person? It's like, yep. yeah, you can how to move. <laughs> this, is, this, is like, this is like the line from fucking Ricky Bobby. I, I can't tell you how many times, like when COVID started, I had people reach out and they literally said, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, what do I do with my hands? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Hold them like this. Like, Just them like this. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> maybe you can emit some like energy through the teleprompter. Oh, there you the go. Tele screen. <laughs> um, and I was like, wow, like we are so far gone from what our profession should be doing. Uh, granted, hands-on care, it's still needed at some context. Some element the, to it at points. Yeah, but, but at the end of the day, like we are supposed to be doctors of movement. Like that's kind of our thing that sets us apart. So if you don't understand what you're seeing, and COVID, great example, like being able to watch somebody move over Zoom, like we're talking now, that's, that's a big problem. Like you don't, you don't really understand what the body's doing. You're just chasing after those symptoms. Yeah. yeah. Well, Matt Zanis, I know you have a hard cutoff time here in about five minutes. So let's just kind of start closing it up a little bit. Um, sure. We will be doing a part two and perhaps part three, who knows, to this conversation Ooh. coming up as well. Um, real quick, Zanis, where can people find you? Uh, best place to find me and see all of my salty antics is on Instagram at Rooted in Movement. Uh, movement is an acronym. It's just M-V-M-N-T. stands for Movement, Vitality, Mindset, Nutrition, and Training. No vowels in there. At RootedMovement.com is also my website. And then you could find me and reach out to me if you want to contact me uh, via email at Matthew at RootedInMovement.com. And Matthew Perry. Uh, I'm pretty much uh, most active on Facebook. Um, my company's name is Auto Nest Therapies, A-U-T-O hyphen N-E-S-S, -S, committed to your autonomy, happiness, and wellness. Kind of wrapping that up about, you know, treating myself out of the job, 100%. Yeah. Um, you can also, uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to me um, any other way. Uh, email Matthew.Perry, that's with two T's and two R's, at antherapies.com. Um, I don't know, maybe we can attach your phone number or whatever. Reach out to me if you need some help. <laughs> Very cool. I've always wondered how the, your, you got your business name. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Thank Very you. cool. Well, awesome. Really? Matthew and Matthew, thank you so much for joining me today. And we will definitely be doing part two and potentially part three, who knows, in the near future. Awesome. Looking forward thank to you it. So much. Thank you so much for having me on or having us on. And that concludes this week's episode of Highly Functional. If you enjoyed it and found the information helpful, I invite you to head over to Facebook and join my group, Obstacle Course Racing Athlete Health and Performance, 
where you can both join your OCR tribe as well as find very helpful, useful information on how to become a more dominant racer, a more resilient racer, and truly race at your peak performance. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional.